0: Do I still have to redact it, even though you guys are on record.
1: It's called TSFCI.
0: I think I'm a little nicer in real
2: life
0: than I am on It's not hard. Like
1: Welcome to Unredacted. I'm Philippe Reines, and along with my co-host, Emily Brandwin, we are here with Joseph Patrick Lockhart, otherwise known as Joe. You might know Joe as the 19th press secretary of the United States of America. He served in that position from 1998 to 2000 under President Bill Clinton. Uh, and while Joe and I were to disagree a little bit during the course of this episode, uh, one thing we can agree on was that Bill Clinton was a pretty terrific president. Joe has had a a very, I've been jealous of Joe's career. He's worked for Facebook, for the NFL. Uh, he's founded a firm in Glover Park Group. I've known Joe, I think I met Joe five, probably about 17 years ago. But like many Americans, I knew Joe from his job, from standing behind the podium and answering questions. And I thought it then and I've thought it since that it First off, that is possibly the hardest job in America, more so than the president, because the president doesn't put himself in that position a lot and can just walk away. To do it every day, to do it with class and transparency, very few people have done it the way Joe has done it and not made enemies and kept his boss happy and kept the press happy. That is a very hard trifecta to to achieve. So – as a little background, I, I, I hesitate to interrupt you, but <laughs> thank you. But please go on. <laughs> so, <laughs> the the origin of this is, um, and Emily will explain this. But uh, Joe and I are on different sides of the ongoing argument of to impeach or not to impeach. That is the question. Uh, I have been pro impeachment, and, and Joe has been con. And we'll get more into the into the texture of that because it's not that. Clear, um, but we were on Joe's podcast. He is the host of Words Matter. Uh, he invited me on to his podcast to to debate, and we had a very lively debate. and very Very much recommend that you listen to it. Um, actually, before this, <laughs> so pause, <laughs> pause, dig up that episode, listen to us go at it. A lot of people have told me, and I'm sure Joe, that they were really sort of, not moved, but they would listen to one of us speak and say, yeah, he's right, and then listen to the other one speak and say, no, he's right. And it was a a good, thoughtful conversation. And obviously, this is a tough question that it's not clear what the right answer is. Most importantly, Joe and I will not be the ones deciding (laughs) whether or not to do this.
2: One good thing for America.
1: So this is the follow-up because that was uh, the end of April. So it was just about two months ago. And, you know, every day in America is a new world. So we've had, you know, just about 60 new world worlds. So this is a little bit of, a, of, an, of an update. And, uh, Emily, with that, I'm going to hand it over to you.
0: Hey, guys. Hey, Joe. It's so nice to finally meet you.
2: Very nice to meet you via this um, FaceTime thing I've heard about.
0: Yes, it's very good. I would have done my hair. But yeah, I, So apologies for that. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice because I know you've given me a little bit of grief over, over the year on Twitter, so it's nice. Now it's our turn. Oh. Uh, here it goes. Um, here it goes. So it's impeachment. I love that you phrased it in a very Shakespearean way, to impeach or not to impeach. That is a question, it, it fills my theater loving heart. And it's been a tough call, which you all debated on your podcast. I feel like we need one of those boxing bells after each one of you chatted about it, because it was it was such a good, hearty debate. And both of you have also written op-eds about it as well, which I encourage listeners to also read in addition to hearing both Joe and Philippe talk about this. And true, true to what Philippe said, which I will agree with Philippe, When we listened to, when I listened to the debate that you both had, it was, it was like, oh yeah, 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 he's right. I am truly very team impeachment. I think I'm going to get the t-shirt as well. So I gear more towards that side, but I absolutely understood where you're coming from, Joe. And I liked the point that you made about Democrats wanting punishment. We want to hold somebody accountable. We want to see that happen. And that does speak to my and it speaks to so many people's just core value that if you do something wrong, you have to feel the effects of that. Even, but to your point, maybe that won't get to where we need it to go. And maybe there's not a right answer. Maybe there's not a wrong answer. But I think it's important, especially with everything that's happened, that we go back and we revisit this and see with with how the politics have changed. Um, if Maybe you, both your sides have changed a little. I'm willing to believe Philippe's side has not, but maybe. Um, so I'd love to turn it over to you all. I was going to flip a coin, but since uh, it's, it's our podcast, Philippe has home advantage, and we, he'll come up at that last, and that's the only sports metaphor I will ever use again.
1: I get last licks is what I think we so, called it as so kids. I,
2: do I get to go first? You do. Okay. You get
0: to go first. That was my very long-winded way of saying you get to go first.
2: Good. I, if Philippe was going to go first, I was going to take a bathroom break because I don't need to hear what he <laughs> has to say because uh, I'm sure it hasn't changed. Um, here's here's well, You know, the, the, there's been one huge intervening event since Philippe and I first had this debate, which was the release of the Mueller report. Uh, and that outlines in great detail both uh, the collusion, which in great detail says there was collusion, and um, and then probably more starkly the obstruction of justice, 10, you know, clear cases of obstruction. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the president hasn't committed impeachable offenses. He has. So I, if, if that is a concession to Philippe, um, then I concede. I don't really think it is because I don't think that at any point during his presidency, I didn't think he was committing impeachable defenses. But uh, Robert Mueller's report laid out in a very thoughtful way that he has. Um, and so where my modification, um, comes is probably I would, at the risk of rewriting, uh, Shakespeare, uh, I might say to impeach now or not to impeach now. Um, and, and that is the question. Uh, so let me, let me address it from my point of view, um, which is, I believe that, um, it's, uh, it's in America's long-term interest to have the Demo- to have Democrats control as many branches of government as they can. I think Republicans uh, consistently mismanage uh, government, are corrupt, uh, and do almost anything they can to enrich themselves uh, at the expense of most of America. So as a very simple idea, Democrats uh, controlling the House, the Senate, and the White House is a damn good idea for the American public. So I start from this as rejecting the idea that we should focus only on what the constitutional uh, duty of the House of Representatives is. Um, I think that's playing the Democrats' weak hand as we has so often have done. I think Republicans, it never even crosses their mind, what's my constitutional duty what Republicans do is they say, how can I help myself here? How can I help myself as a party? How can I help myself as a rich white person? How can I help myself as a homophobic? All of those things. Um, and I, I think we, you know, and I know Philippe to be one of the more accomplished street fighters the democratic party has. Uh, and I think we should play by Philippe's rules here, which is what's in our interest. How do we win this, uh, effort? And I think if we move forward on impeachment now, we run the real risk of uh, allowing Donald Trump to get reelected and, most importantly, allowing Democrats to lose the House, allowing Republicans to retake the House. Uh, under the um, theory, and it's just a theory, I, I, you know, Philippe will say something much smarter than me and then I'll say, aha, I'm wrong. But under the theory that Democrats retook the House, not on Russia and and Bob Mueller and Trump's corruption. They retook the House because they were afraid that if Republicans continued being in charge, they were going to lose their health care. And the people who took the House, the people who won in Republican districts or in swing districts, were moderate Democrats who ran on, we're going to do things for you. And Nancy Pelosi, first and foremost, is the head of her caucus. And what she's doing now, and I think it's right, is protecting the most vulnerable members of her caucus, the new freshmen um, that were elected last November and who, who again, ran on you know, bread and butter issues. Um, so that's why I say impeachment now. She has taken the approach, which I agree with, um, is that the public has to come along. She has tried to... Use the Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee to help educate the public on what's in the Mueller report. You know why the president might be impeached. Uh, They've been blocked by the president. Um, They are now using the courts. I believe the courts are much superior to one politician yelling at another politician. The downside is it takes time. Uh, It's not like you can go to the floor of the House and demand a judge um, throw out due process. And let's just, you know, let's get a decision today, buddy. It's time. Um, So that's, you know, it's a fairly long winded way of saying that I don't necessarily believe that the president should never be impeached, but we have some work to do. Um, Two last points and then I'll let Philippe win the debate. Um, uh, I also believe, and this is what I wrote in in the New York Times, um, that that Trump is a cancer on the Republican Party. He is destroying the Republican Party. And we should not throw him a lifeline. I think he, leading the ticket in 2000, rather than being removed from office or impeached and not removed from office, because, again, he will never be removed from office because Republicans will never go against him. Um, while we, we may take great pleasure in staining his legacy by saying he was impeached, um, I think it, it runs the risk of strengthening him uh, through the both the acquittal and uh, playing the victim. Um, and I, I actually think that forcing Republicans to walk the plank with Trump will accelerate what's already happening and will happen Trump or no, no Trump, which is the Republican Party is dying on the vine. You look at any poll of anyone uh, under the age of 35 and you'll find that the Republicans are on the wrong side of every issue. Uh, so as a long-term uh, question, Republicans, uh, unless they change, um, are, are going to become a, a minority party. Uh, Trump is one of the driving forces in making sure they don't wake up and change and don't become uh, more moderate and more tolerant, uh, which they will need to do uh, uh, to, to, to survive. Uh, the second is, uh, and this is maybe the most significant thing that I think has happened in the last month, was the statement put out by Katie Porter yesterday she represents california 45 it is a tough district she should not have won that race democrats don't win races in california 45. she came out and said i'm now for impeachment and that is a clear signal that that people like katie porter and maybe abigail spanberger and Mary richmond are hearing from their constituents we've heard enough we think it may be time when those people believe that it doesn't put them at political risk then i think it may be time to move, uh, to impeach. It probably is time. Again, I, I, I believe he's committed impeachable offenses. I want to punish him as much as anyone, but what I want is a long-term solution here that gives Democrats control of the government. Uh, and I don't want to do anything that rolls the dice that risks doing that. So now Philippe beat the hell out of me.
1: Well, Hmm. since it's a podcast, um, you can only hear me and have not been able to see me for the last basically seven minutes, nodding my head in vigorous agreement, because again, we are on the same page on somewhere between 60 and 80% of it. What was a few things and maybe not in particular order. When Joe and I wrote our op-eds, I believe they were both before the Mueller report.
2: Well before the Mueller report. Mine ran in, I think April or March or April, but I wrote it in January. And it was, I wrote it as Nancy Pelosi and Democrats are taking over. How should they approach impeachment? It just sat at the New York Times for a while as they, you know, as, as things do. And and, and I think it ran after years ran, they called me and said, we're going to run yours at some point on a relevant date as sort of a counterpoint to Philippe's.
1: They were stirring up trouble, basically. They were pitting us against each other. They were. And It worked. It worked. But what's interesting about that is I think we both knew the Mueller report wasn't going to be a silver bullet, and that's why we were already having the debate about next steps. And, you know, the issue with me, and again, we're not debating whether or not he has substantively committed acts of uh, impeachable high crimes and misdemeanors under really any definition. To me, the problem is, is that it's ongoing. And one of the problems, that it's ongoing. If this had been a, let's just say this entire episode had been around the infamous Trump Tower meeting in 2016, and this was all about trying to get to the bottom of were they conspiring and has he since obstructed justice into that one instance, I could maybe live with it under the rationale that this was in the past. This was in the past, and a normal person would be scared straight. Even if they dodged impeachment and removal, they would make sure to color inside the lines. They wouldn't even test it. But then we have the reality of Donald Trump, and he is an open wound. He has, since we've both written our op-eds, we've had the Mueller report. We've had Barr lying about the Mueller report. We've had Mueller writing to Barr saying you lied about my report we had Mueller giving a statement to the public saying hey here's what to focus on which is that we could not exonerate this guy wink wink we have since seen obstruction almost that makes the previous obstruction pale in comparison which is the white house and donald trump flat out saying i'm done with this i am not going to abide by any subpoenas we are not going to send anyone to hearings they have refused to let Don McGahn appear. They have refused to let Bob Barr, uh, Bill Barr appear. Bill? Bill? Bill. Bob Barr
2: was the house manager for right. uh, the Clinton impeachment. Right.
1: We're all the same in this in I like this to sense. call him Fred Flintstone, by <laughs> the way. It keeps
2: me from making that Barr, Bill, Bob thing. Just call him Which Fred. Which one? Bill? It's Bill Barr okay. looks like Fred Flintstone. Okay. So, Bill Fred
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Led> Barr. <laughs> Um, they've been flaunting, yeah, and they've been. Who's Barney Rubble? <laughs> Never mind. Keep going. Or Dino. See what I'm doing here? I'm, I'm throwing him off. He's obfuscating, but he's doing it in a charming way, and and the press forgets what they're doing. And they're like, "Oh, Joe's such a good spokesman. Yeah. Oh, but we forgot to ask him X." <laughs> 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 so he's basically he's thumbing his nose at all of us and at every guardrail that's been installed. So not only is this not a closed system, not only is this an, uh, not a closed matter, not only is it an open wound, it's going to get worse. He and, to some extent, what concerns me more, the people around him, are so emboldened now that it. I can't even, I could guess some things that they might do in the next 15, 16, 17 months, but like everything else, it'll be so much worse than what we guess. So I appreciate the compliment of being a street fighter. I do take it as a compliment. I know, I, I know you mean it as a compliment, yeah. but what's strange here is that I don't want to play by Philippe rules. Uh, Philippe would normally say, I don't want to hear about right and wrong. I want to hear about winning. I want to hear about the ends justifies the means. You know what? We are better than them, but if we can't get into office, we'll never be able to show it, and it's pointless. I have taken that position, by and large, since Trump won. Here, though, I think it's just so egregious. We are going to have long-term problems to what you stated as the goal that I agree with, which is Democrats should should not only run America, we should run the world because we have a better sense of making sure that people aren't left behind. If nothing else, we don't encourage people to run around saying you know, things like Jews will not replace us. And... um i I disagree, and this is where we get it into the real crux of it is I disagree that the that the way to ensure we don't get to control the three branches is by impeaching him even if it's failure and a big part of that is because I have to believe I, I want to have faith in America I'm just hearing myself speak i don't it's not me. <laughs> this it's, this is an out of body experience. I have become Philippe and Philippe has become me and I don't like the trade. It's it's my better angels, which yeah. I've I've kept which under wraps me. for many years. But in my in my bones, not only do I feel like this is right, not only did I feel like it was right when we first spoke about this, I feel it's so much more right and so much more important. And I actually think The party and the larger we will regret it if we don't do this because Trump is not a blip. He's whatever you want to call it, symptom, offshoot. We're going to have this problem for a long time, and I can't imagine that there are that many Trumps out there, but there are Trump imposters, including possibly his son. But you have people who are going to try to whip up this part of the Republican Party, which I agree is – dead party walking, which is one of the upsides of this situation. But there'll be something that comes out of that, some remnant. And the, the problem is, why would they abide by anything? I mean, we already, we already had a, uh, the notion that our branches are co-equal is nonsense. They haven't been <laughs> since, I don't know, World War II. And that's been a function of both parties. Uh, presidents of both parties. And it's for a lot of reasons. It's been Cold War where we, you know, we weren't going to wait for the Congress to declare war before hitting the nuclear button. Uh, The War Powers Act. Both parties have moved forward on that kind of stuff. So the executive has taken on a much larger, not to mention the executive is one person. The Congress, which is supposedly co-equal, is 535 people that can barely, you know, agree with themselves, let alone um, as a group we're really in a, in a position now where someone has shown that they can take the idea of making a president into a dictator or monarch and not suffer for it to whole whole new levels. And I think fundamentally, it's important. Sometimes seeking justice is important just for the sake of justice, even if justice can't be realized in the form of a sentence, a, a specific you know putting him in jail kind of thing. Absolutely.
0: You and I have talked about that too. And I want to move on just the next question, because I think we spent some time on this. If you guys are good with this, Um, we've talked about the idea that America almost needs to see an impeachment. We need to see the wheels of justice actually work. We need to see that happen. Um, Do you both, I'd like to hear your thoughts there is a professor who's been sort of making the rounds, Alan Lichtman. Do you all know who I'm talking about? He's the one who predicted yes. the last nine elections and he predicted them correctly, which is a little horrifying because he predicted Trump. But he said the only way that the Democrats could win is if there was an impeachment, because he basically has a formula now that says in order for some a candidate to lose, they have to have really six negative check marks. And if an impeachment happened and there was this public trial in the Senate all of his misdeeds would be on display, there would be a debate, there'd be a real a real dialogue about everything that was going on, and that would wake up the American conscience and it would really sway the voters. Do you believe that some, that do you have any weight in what he's saying and also where he puts the weight on the Senate in terms of a public, more or less of a trial?
2: Well, let me, let me do that in order. Uh, listen, I've predicted eight out of the last nine elections and I don't have a formula. <laughs> the only pr- election in my like adulthood that I was surprised by was Trump. So, uh, I'm glad he has a formula. Uh, I've been on TV with the guy he shouts, so I don't pay much attention to him. Um, I, you know, that's all great academic stuff. Let's, let's talk reality. Um, uh, let's let's start from the Senate end. There is no guarantee that Mitch McConnell will put on a trial, and if he does put on a trial, it won't resemble any trial that anyone has ever seen on television. Uh, it will not. It'll. It will be some pro forma thing that minimizes the issues. There won't be fact witnesses uh, presented. Uh, there'll just be some politicians from the left and the right making political speeches on the floor. Uh, so. The Senate, you know, and a part of my, and it's I wouldn't even call it a rebuttal because again we do agree on most of this. It's just not the decision and not right now, but but there is um, there is a psychological uh, value to Trump to be acquitted. I know that because there was a psychological value for Bill Clinton to be acquitted. Now I'm not comparing the two, and my position is not based on what happened in 1998, because it was only a short-term loss for Republicans. It was in the short-term, we're a very attention span-challenged country. Uh, so 2000 was fine, so I'm not making that argument. But one of the arguments I am making is that there is there are real, real parallels to 1973, 1974, with one huge difference. And I can't overestimate this difference. The idea that the American public, like they did in 1973 and 1974, is going to tune in to an impeachment hearing or an impeachment trial and be riveted by it, I just don't believe to be the case. In 1973, I was 13 years old. I attended three days of the Watergate hearing because my dad was a journalist. He was in D.C. for the summer, and that was the only way I was going to get to see him. I came down for like four days. You, you didn't have a choice, There were four stations. The first five days of the hearings were covered by all four networks. You know, there were no soap operas. If you're going to turn your TV on, you had to watch Howard Baker and Sam Irvin. And that did grip the country. Right now, if these hearings ever get boring, you know how quickly people will switch to Netflix or to Amazon? Um, I, I just don't think we have. And secondly, there was no Fox. In fact, one of the reasons Roger Ailes created Fox... And he said this in an interview was, if Nixon had had his own network, he could have survived Watergate. I don't know if that's true, uh, but uh, I, I, I just don't think – you this, I, I think it's a little bit of a fantasy that hearings and impeachment process will so grip the country and that will so bring the country along to one side versus the other because, again, a lot of the country is going to get the Fox version – a lot of the country is going to get the MSNBC version. Some is going to get the CNN version and and on and on and on. Uh, so um, the, the the second um, part of that is um, – I can't remember the second part of that. So, Philippe, you have the floor. <laughs>
0: well, Really, see, I want to go back just yeah. for a second, Joe. I actually think that the country would be riveted. Anytime we've had any of these public hearings, maybe I spend way too much time on Twitter, which could be, you see almost – the excitement and the frenzy of being able, and I know like that as you're pointing to your nose, people in the podcast, you can't see Joe is, it's fingering to his nose. Exactly. Like, oh, there it but I, I think there is, there's a hunger to see something happen because there's, there's been no accountability. And I think there's a, there's a hunger to say, Hey, look what he's done. And I think people would watch, I, th- I just I, do the, i think people would watch they may lose their attention span you know two weeks into it but i think in the beginning it, you would have that audience because i think I, I we're so plugged in we're so dialed in now this country we're also so divided but never before have we seen this type of political debate and discourse in my lifetime i haven't seen it like this Well, uh, and, yeah. um,
2: let me let me let me push back on that a little bit we are divided I don't think the country is plugged in. People on Twitter are plugged in. People, the three of us are plugged in. Yeah. A lot of people we know are plugged in. Most of the country is not. And I don't think you can it's just by, by default say this is going to, all of a sudden there's going to be an avalanche of revulsion with the president. And here's the, the example I'll use. Um, the country was, did tune in, and I think we're riveted by the Kavanaugh debate when Dr. Blasey yeah. Ford came up and all that that hurt Democrats that that gave Republicans a chance to say, Oh, I can be a Republican again because that guy is okay. And it's a, it's another one of these women coming after him. So I, I think, don't think we can just assume particularly given some of the characters in our own party, that this is just <laughs> a slam dunk for us. Um, but I do believe, I, I mean, I guess there is a hunger for this. I completely agree with that. And, uh, the you know the slight modification that I would make in you know impeach now or not is if the courts don't move quickly enough uh, there be there may be no choice but impeachment. I do believe that seeing Don McGahn uh, testify is a must. Seeing Hope Hicks testify is a must. Seeing Bob Mueller testify is a is a must. Uh, I think if in the in the world that I'm in charge of I want them to be what leads Nancy De Pelosi to say aha now we have to move we Nancy Pelosi may not have that choice in the real world and I and I get that but I think we need to give the courts more time and the committees and the speaker more time because again um, I think there is a a, a material difference between uh, politicians trying to compel another politician to talk and a judge compelling someone uh, to talk. And that does raise the drama. And again, I don't think everybody will tune in uh, like they did for Watergate, but I think you can you know, reach enough people that public opinion will change. And I'll give a, a, a nod to Flip here. Public opinion, opinion is changing. It is evolving. It is moving. Um, it's just not at a place now where... You can, you can say that it's, um, that the risk reward on going with impeachment right now is in the Democrats' favor, I, just in my opinion.
0: And we're going to get to Pelosi in a second, but okay. Philippe, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, for your opinion on that.
1: Yeah, so I, I picked up the same thing that Emily did about. It's interesting what you're saying about. you don't think um, the country would be riveted, generally, let alone as compared to Nixon. Um, and I think just to go back one step. The original impetus for when I wrote my piece, it was not to argue um, right or wrong. It was just the point was to have a conversation about the the politics of impeachment. It was important for people to not just, uh, out of muscle memory or conventional wisdom, say the Democrats won and the Republicans suffered for 1998, because I think that's an oversimplification, which... You just agreed with. Yep, I agree. But I think there are, um, obviously, the Nixon uh, resignation and Watergate is a parallel, and so is the Bill Clinton 1998 impeachment. And I think there are a couple of things that are important, and one touches on what you're saying about Kavanaugh. So the, the, the three main differences I see between what's happening now and what happened in 1998 is first and foremost the most obvious the act itself. I'm sorry. Uh, we can debate about, I I don't know who we'd be debating with, but 1998 was silly. (laughs) It was something he shouldn't have done. It was a personal foible. Uh, You can be grossed out by it. You can be all sorts of things by it, but the country didn't need to come to a standstill over it. And I think based on what happened in the Congress and then what happened with President Clinton's approval rating, the country agreed with that. So the act, as compared to, conspiracy witting or not with a foreign adversary on repetitive occasions and then obstruction to cover up those uh, conspiratorial actions is different the second um, are the the actors the actors in 1998 were bad people they were Newt Gingrich the non Fred Flintstone Barr Tom DeLay Tom DeLay Bob Livingston, Lindsey Graham. You know, a lot of people made their bones on this stuff on the right. And we'd be running it this time. We'd have Nancy Pelosi. We'd have Jerry Nadler. We'd have all sorts of folks who would be doing it because they believed it's right. And and look how reluctant they are to do it. It's not because in 1998, the Republicans were salivating to do this. (laughs) <laughs> they didn't. Well, you and I are debating this on this podcast more than the Republicans yeah. debated '98. They were looking for it, so I think the actors are different, and most, most importantly, the timing was different. the The impeachment, the President Clinton wasn't acquitted by the, the Senate uh, until after the 1998 midterms. But for all intents and purposes, the, the formal impeachment proceedings started before. The November nineteen ninety eight midterms and it was absolutely on the ballot. That is dicey, and you know if the election were three or four months three or four months away, I might not be as confident in playing, you know, rolling the dice on on this. But your Kavanaugh point is really smart on two points, but I'm going to use it against you. So the Kavanaugh mm-hmm. to me forget about the underlying facts which were just horrible and it was a horrible display but what scared me was that it's exactly what you said it let republicans be republicans again and i think it was possibly the first and maybe only time in the last two and a half years that it really came into focus like that and it was scary because people you have a lot of people on day-to-day who rationalize um yeah trump tweets too much and he's annoying and he's not a good person but I like the judges he picks, and I like my tax cuts, and I have too much regulation. It was amazing how everybody – I don't know a single Republican who was not using those talking points around Kavanaugh. But Kavanaugh, we still won the House. What, six weeks later? So, Mm -hmm. yes, while it was, I think, net-net – well, it was literally a gain for the Republicans because they got their judge. It it dissipated – by no, then,
2: I, when I think of Kavanaugh as a loss, we there were three or four Democratic senatorial candidates who hemmed and hawed and couldn't make up their mind on Kavanaugh because they, you know, or they, you know, Heidi Heitkamp came out against uh, Kavanaugh, and I think Kavanaugh's hearings had uh, a considerable influence on Republicans retaining the Senate. I, I take your point, though, that it yep. didn't. I don't think it impacted the House because people. You know, that the those were different races. Yeah. And we have
1: we have some structural problems with the with the Senate seats. Um, the riveting thing. Well, I think the reason I disagree is. First of all, I, I'd be riveted. You'd be riveted. Emily be riveted. <laughs> Everyone's <those> <laughs> be riveted. But people weren't riveted to the Mueller report. I mean, no one's read it. People weren't riveted to Mueller's speech. People weren't riveted to when Mueller indicted, you know, more than a dozen Russian nationals, what it does is it puts things into the ether. So, yeah, no one might listen to the trial. And while they'll watch Hope Hicks and Don McGahn, they might not watch some bit player like Michael Caputo. They're going to find out what Michael Caputo said because it's pushing the information out. Now, it might be on Twitter. It might be through Stephen Colbert. Probably won't be by Fox. But public opinion has spiked when there has been facts put into the public domain. And what's amazing to me is Trump's – well, the the impeachment numbers nationally, but particularly among Democrats, has changed significantly in the last month. It was only 30 percent of Democrats were pro-impeachment, and that has changed to 48 percent. That is a huge jump, an 18 point jump is not insignificant. For all intents and purposes, we're split as a party. Why did that happen? It's not because we've been holding hearings, because we've held we've held uh, one hearing, the other two were canceled. It's not because we subpoenaed or we got documents, because we keep getting rebuffed and everything. The reason I believe that the pro impeachment position has gone up is because Donald Trump has made a better argument to impeach him. Than any of us have, he has stated, he has actually stated that the very thing that we've been debating about for two and a half years—about whether it was illegal—that he's going to do it again next year. <laughs> he is ranting and raving about the report. Uh, to me, he is actually making the best case for for having a, a former structure, be, a formal structure, because whenever there's any kind, when you throw chum in the water. The fish come biting. And, you know, I also have a little bit of a discomfort, and by a little bit I mean a lot, this cycle of watching the polls, when the polls change, the politicians will change because it's it's very circular and it's the dog chasing its tail. If we have hearings they would change. And I I think Emily you wanted to ask about I, yeah,
0: I wanted and not that you all aren't riveting. I just want to make sure, looking at the time, because I don't think we can have this discussion about impeachment without talking about Miss Nancy, and talking about her strategy on impeachment. And I know for you, Philippe, you've always been very, very outspoken on Twitter and your support of Nancy Pelosi. And I've just, but this is the sort of the one point where I've seen that you've shifted and you've really been critical to her as well. And so I'd love to. Finish up this discussion with both of you talking about a little bit about Nancy, her strategy, where you think she should go with it as well, where you think it's going to happen.
1: Joe's pointing at me, so I'll take it up. Um, I, I, I really would like to believe that I have been a steadfast supporter of Nancy Pelosi, particularly through 2018. I think the criticisms of her that she was toxic. That she would be used against Democrats was typical Republican tropes to get us to turn on each other. Pelosi handled it credibly, classy. She basically told her caucus, "You know what? If you need to run away from me, run away from me. Do what we do. What you need to win, just win, baby." Was what she said. She was quoting Al Davis, former owner of uh, of the of the Raiders. I don't know if they were L.A. Raiders or Oakland Raiders at that point. She should not have been put through the ringer to be to become speaker again in the end no one had the guts to challenge her they were looking for concessions from her that republicans would never in a second i cannot imagine what life would be like for the last six months if nancy pelosi wasn't our speaker that said i disagree with what's happening now not solely because I disagree with her judgment. I believe that everything she does and everything she says is what she, honest to God, believes what is best for the Democratic Party and what's best for America. What I have been taking issue with delicately and constructively because whenever you say anything negative, you get jumped on about, you know, you're not trusting her, you're not, I trust her implicitly. What I don't like is I wish she just – she doesn't want to impeach. (laughs) She just doesn't want to do it. She, In the end of the day, she might be the reason we don't impeach. I wish she'd wake up tomorrow and say that because the notion of we need to move on, we can't talk about kitchen table issues, whether it's Medicare for all, gun control, then just put it to bed. And this is actually something you had written in your op-ed, which is – we We need to talk about other things, and the kind of the problem with that is that we're not we don't decide what we talk about. I mean there's a guy who pretty much is leading us around by the nose, but I wish she would just say that and I wish she is um she's playing lip service to a very large subset of the party who thinks that she's gonna impeach she's just doing it in a in a more clever way than the rest of us just ranting about it on Twitter. And I hope I'm, I hope they're right and I hope I'm wrong. But she is, she's moving the goalposts. So if you look at what she has said, first she said, he's just not worth it, which, you know, you don't have to interpret that. That's basically saying he's not worth it. (laughs) Why do it? She has said it's got to be an ironclad case because some people think there's a double jeopardy issue that if he is acquitted in the Senate, he couldn't be retried. Boy, is that a specious argument that came out of nowhere. And you're defining ironclad at that point as have to win in the Senate. (laughs) If you're defining not losing a double jeopardy problem. When she cites, this one I think is the most compelling, um, especially since you mentioned Katie Porter, when she cites the numbers within her own caucus, it's really misleading. For, For 67, 68, whatever it is, just short of 70, To come out pro-impeachment, it's not because they finally have grappled. I believe Katie Porter has, and she was very transparent about that. But most people who've come out, their real question hasn't been whether I think he should be impeached. It's whether I'm ready to buck the speaker. And that 70 have done it is remarkable. There's no question that the vast majority of Democratic caucus in the House supports impeachment. I think citing those numbers while simultaneously behind closed doors admonishing people not to come out, is disingenuous in that there is no number that would change your mind. I mean, there are 235 Democrats in the House, so it's not 67. Is it a majority? Is it 118? I don't think so. Is it 234? I don't know. She's going to make her decision, and again, that's her prerogative. She might be right. I don't in any way challenge her political acumen. But I wish she would just say it because what she's doing is basically giving false hope. And what I, you know, earlier said to someone is these people who attack those of us who have criticized the speaker as saying, you know, I have faith in her. I trust her. She's the speaker. You're not. She knows things you don't. What's funny is, is that the minute she doesn't impeach, those people are going to abandon her. So what they're saying is, I trust her as long as they she does what I think she secretly wants to do.
2: Yeah, this is yeah. probably this is probably the area that we disagree the most, um, and it's the, the most inside of inside baseball. Uh, but it is important and it is relevant. I think what Speaker Pelosi, I think Speaker Pelosi looks at. Um, her caucus, her speakership as the last the last defense line against um, authoritarian government. If Trump wins and the Republicans are able to retake the House, uh, we revert back to 2017 where anything goes. And if you think 2017 was wild, just just wait to 2021. Uh, you know, we might not make it to the next election. It, it, he just could become our dear leader, uh, and, I, and I that sounds hyperbolic, but I, it's not. Um, so I think she's playing a pretty sophisticated political. Um, I, I, I'm going to say game, but I don't mean it as mm-hmm. a you know something that she doesn't take seriously. That she understands that first and foremost, you've got to make sure that you're, uh, you're you you are you defense against the worst possible. Situation, and that is not to put her freshman Democrats in a position where they lose their seat, so we can make a point about uh, Donald Trump, um, because we're not going to remove him from office. It's not going to happen. We agree on that, right? The Senate is not going to remove. For all him. intents purposes, yes, okay. near impossible. Nah. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's just not going to happen. Not, and the dynamic is easy to understand, which is if you're a Republican, you know. All of the, I agree that most of the Democratic caucus wants to impeach. I also agree that most of the uh, Republicans in the Senate would like the process to be only the House votes and then he's removed. They would like him removed from office. They just don't want to have to execute him. Uh, because if they, they execute him, they immediately lose their base. They immediately either get primaried or get beaten in the general election. It will be a bloodbath for them. Uh, and they are stuck between the proverbial rock and hard place right now, and they'll go with the rock they know—the genius at the White House, the stable genius. They're going to go with. They're gonna stuck go with between Trump. a rock and a nutcase. Uh, exactly. That's even better. Ah, <laughs> see, he's good at this. Um, he, he's good. Yeah. Anyway, so I and I don't think um, I don't think I, I guess I just don't agree that it's false hope that Nancy Pelosi has decided I'm never going to impeach. I think she's decided that I am not going to move forward with impeachment with the landscape as it sits right now. But if the landscape gets better and the risk goes down on those members that are most vulnerable, I think she'll move forward. And I think one of the things that's, that we have to watch is Katie Porter is one thing. She she represents the, you know, the the head of the spear. The, the more the the foundation of all of this is what the courts do uh because what what we couldn't have anticipated when we wrote our pieces or when we had our last debate was that Trump would prefer pursue a full stone wall that you can't see anything anytime anywhere um and that's you know maybe we should have mm-hmm. but I don't think anyone did so that's that's new facts on the ground i think she needs knew more and different facts on the ground. So I don't think it's false hope. I, I actually think in her heart she she's okay with impeaching as long as the, 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 the market has been conditioned in a way that it's not now. And the way you condition that market is one of two ways. One, the courts move quickly, and uh, all of a sudden, Don McGann's up, all of a sudden, Moers up, all of a sudden, Hope Hicks is up, all of a sudden, Annie Donaldson is up. And you start seeing, again, I don't think that these hearings will have no impact. I just don't want people to delude themselves into thinking this is, so will be like the summer of 1973. It won't. But the, 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 the people who influence, the influencers will all be watching and will be riveted. And it will, it'll move public opinion. I, I agree with that. Um, that's one possibility. The second possibility is the courts don't move and Pelosi's left with no choice or the courts send the signal, which they may do, which is we will not move expeditiously on this unless there's an ongoing judicial process. And then that's the decision point for Nancy. Then we'll find out whether it is false hope or whether she's just waiting for the right moment, because then she'll have to decide. And if the courts say we're not going to compel any testimony before the house of representatives, unless there's an impeachment inquiry, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. And I think there's a real chance at that point, she'll say, well, then we have to do it. So, but we don't know that just like we didn't, you know, there's a lot of unknowns here. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out. I just, I, I again, I think it all, the, this debate sort of completely um, um, uh, is surrounded by not if, for me, but when. When do you make the decision it doesn't have to be made now. It does have to be made when they come back from summer vacation. I, You know, you, you can't take this into next year. I think your, your points are very well taken on, um, you know, I noticed it during Kavanaugh in a very weird way, which was, you know, you spend a lot of time in green rooms doing, you know, cable appearances. And, for a year and a half, both in the green room and on TV, every Republican who sat on a panel with me agreed with everything I said. Mm-hmm. So I got interested. I got used to saying, "You know what he said or what she mm-hmm. said," and then all of a sudden, Kavanaugh happened, and all of a sudden, all of these, all of my best friends in the world were looking at me like I was the normal enemy. And it was like, "Oh yeah, we're in different parties." It's like, and it's, and I do, I agree with you that we have to avoid allowing uh, the the Republicans you know, a safe place to support Trump. And my fear is if we do this the wrong way, we give them that. Where if it looks so political in the House and it is a straight party line vote, except for Justin and Amash, um, that we give, you know, safe harbor to Republicans to do what they don't want to do, but might do. And you know what? This is an unsolvable problem, except for watching, waiting. And then, you know, either, um, I, and I'll be the happiest person in the world. If on election night in 2020, I can come on a podcast and say, Philippe, you were right. I can't believe I doubted you. You're the smartest man in history.
0: Well, on that note, I just want to remind everyone who's listening can follow us obviously on Twitter and you can follow Joe at Joe Lockhart made it easy for us. And you can also catch his podcast as well, Words Matter. And that's at WMM underscore podcast. And you can also look for him on CNN as well. And thank you so, so much for joining us. We were excited to have you and be able to have all these kind of good discussions with you.
2: Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions, and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.